This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a big hour coming your way. Pete Hegseth will join me through it. But so many breaking stories. Tough uh, drilling it down to three big ones as we continue to follow multiple stories on Capitol Hill, around the country, uh, and around the world. Today, we know that uh, they're going to have a big January 6th anniversary event. Uh, we know it's a terrible day in American history, no doubt about it. But I've never seen a party take advantage of a bad incident more than the Democrats, CNN, MSNBC, have taken advantage of January 6th. Moment of silence on the House steps. The president's going to come by. And what they're going to do is try to say that every Republican was there and thought it would be a great idea to ransack the Capitol that day. No, that's not the case. I think they've 100% overplayed their hand, but we'll deal with it. Also, it's important to find out there's other things going on to actually overwhelm that moment. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Title 42 or not, the border is not open. We will continue to fully enforce our immigration laws in a safe, orderly, and humane manner. Right. HHS Secretary Mayorkas, a disgrace. Biden's border plan, a step in the right direction, but not the cure for border, which he broke. From, and by the way, he's just days from appearing at the border for the first time in his 50-year career. It'll be El Paso. We'll discuss. Number two. His cell phone pinged in the area of the crimes at least a dozen times before the attacks. Police also say that a white Hyundai was seen speeding away after the attack. From there, they were able to track that car's toll tag from Washington State all the way to Pennsylvania. There in Pennsylvania, they got a DNA sample from his parents' trash bin. That DNA sample linked back to the knife sheet. There you go. A little bit of the mystery solved. Details of the murders of the four University of Idaho students were revealed in a courtroom yesterday when 28-year-old Brian Kohlberger made his first appearance as the accused killer. I will bring you the grisly details, even though we still don't know his motive. Number one. This is like the, the fringe, right? This is this is not mega Republicans who are doing this. These are people who are so so far to the right and so destructive that they're even beyond Trump uh, in terms of, the, uh, of where they are. And they want to burn the whole thing down. Mark Thiessen, can't really say you're wrong. Breakthrough, though. That's the word coming from Kevin McCarthy's office after 11 unsuccessful rounds of votes over the course of three days in his quest to become speaker. The latest details are coming your way. And let's look at some of the details. Uh, first off, there's a deal cut. They said it's been on the table for months, according to the 19 that did don't want to vote for him, even though he's got 200 plus votes. He doesn't have 218 needed. So what do the Freedom Caucus want? They want a motion to vacate just one person. So if someone stands up and says, I don't like Kevin McCarthy, I want to put it to a vote to oust him, like Boehner and Ryan and Hastert, whatever, put it to a vote. So he'll say, all right. He said no on five. Then he said yes. Then he said now they said do it on one. Okay. doesn't mean he's out, but when they put it to a vote, 
it's going to be a delay of everything, almost like a mini impeachment. So another thing they want is two to three members of the Freedom Caucus on the Rules Committee. Okay? Votes on term limits. All right? You know, it's never going to pass the Senate, but go ahead, do it. And then the border security legislation. No kidding. Everybody wants border security uh, legislation. He would not stop that. So basically, you have people who are never Kevin, like Matt Gates and uh, uh, Lori Bob, the, um, I'm trying to forget, the other one, the gun-toting one, Lauren Boebert, who says, yeah, I don't, with a big smile on her face, doing CNN and MSNBC, yeah, I don't think I'll ever vote for him. Okay? We don't know why. Don't think so. Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure no one's disputed this. It was he, Kevin McCarthy, backing the incumbent, Boebert, who provided money and support for her to win her runoff election. There was too close to call and they would need a recount. But there is optimism that today they got this deal. And the way we understand from Ken Buck yesterday is the reason why you don't have a wearing down of that number is they all agreed the 19 to vote as a block. Here's Kevin McCarthy, cut one. Has undercut your potential power to speak. I mean, has, it cut, <laughs> has it undercut the power of all the other speakers? No. But it was used so over John so Boehner. So why would it cut the action? We have I'm a not, position not, since not. 1859. I mean, doesn't that inherently mean that you would be a weaker speaker? No. Explain. Yeah. It would only, only be a weaker speaker if I was a freedom. So would he be a weaker speaker? Democratic uh, Congressman Gallego said, yeah, he's going to make the job weaker forever. I don't really think so. You characterize it the way you want it, the way the party has it, the one you get support. Who other could get votes? Byron Donald's got a lot of votes. Jim Jordan, not a lot, under 20. Jim, uh, Jim Jordan doesn't want it, but he keeps getting votes. Mike Johnson is a dark horse. Jim Banks is a dark horse. Well, we'll see where we go. But I cannot tell you how tedious this is. I don't think it's a good process. I like a debate going back and forth and negotiation, but this could have been done weeks ago behind closed doors. Maybe a day, maybe a delay on a vote would have been interesting. But now it's so past that. So I thought Laura Ingram did a good job engage, engaging Matt Gates on why he's a never Kevin. Cut for it. I wouldn't be betting on uh, my vote for Kevin McCarthy under almost any circumstance. But it's important to note that all of those so it's points personal, you just then. presented. Wait, McCarthy, Wait, hold, on, hold, on, hold, on. hold on, hold on. Wait, that's personal then. You, no, you no, just no. made this very principled point. No, no. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I am, I'm a man of principle, and I believe in X, Y, and Z, but if he gives me X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to vote for him. What? Well, here's the, how does no, that no, no. make Here, sense? Here's how it makes sense, Laura. Kevin McCarthy is the masthead of the lobby corps, and I resent the extent to which Kevin McCarthy utilizes the lobbyists and the special interests to be able to dictate how political decisions are made, how policy decisions are made, and how leadership decisions are made. I wonder if this has anything to do with the allegations against him and didn't feel he didn't get proper backing. That's probably where most of it is, because also you have Matt Gates coming up and now fundraising off his stance against Kevin McCarthy, which many of you like. I mean, I'm watching some of your responses. I hear it. A lot of people say I really side with that 19 as if Kevin McCarthy is the problem that was pro omnibus. And he wanted he wrote that bill and that they came out of the Senate. They were passed by a simple majority in the House. But it was. Not one Republican voted for it outside, I think, Brian Fitzpatrick, Republican from Pennsylvania. But it was Kevin McCarthy's problem. Border security is an issue. Making the Ukraine money accountable. Keeping a close watch on it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I still don't get it. In the big picture, though, there's a lot of very smart people who think they are doing a great thing. Making uh, everybody accountable, making it more official before just automatically saying, uh, next man up. One of them that was asked to put it in perspective was Victor Davis Hanson. 
He's watching this 3,000 miles away. Cut 13. If one of their people stood up, there's going to be 10 or 15 moderates who say that he's intolerable. I will not vote for him. And what's looming in the background of all this is somebody either on one side or the other is going to cut a deal with the Democrats to get the House working. And that's yeah. a red line. When that happens, you might as well give up because you've, you've just betrayed millions of voters. They had more votes in the popular vote for conservative Republicans than the Democrats. And you have, a, you have a, uh, an oath. You have a, you're, you're bound to the people to get something done. And you'll break it. If, you, if one person makes a deal with the Democrats, then everybody's been betrayed. The one who's getting the most votes every single time, every single Democrat, is Hakeem Jeffries, 212, 212, uh, 12 times. I don't want to hear any more nomination speeches. We got it. I understand Victoria Sparks now votes president. She's the Ukrainian-born congresswoman who basically has been leading on Kevin McCarthy to allow to push for this funding to continue. A lot of Republicans don't want to do it. You would think that she'd be the last one to jump off his bandwagon, but she did. So what is to come? I think something gets done today. I don't think anybody wants to work through the weekend. Uh, I think the, the never the never Kevins will probably be five, six, or seven. I only think he can lose five. So if he gets up to seven, there'll be a lot of pressure to get down. But right now there's nineteen twenty, and there's there's power in numbers. Here's Brett Baer on what he thinks will happen today. You're heading into the weekend, Friday, uh, where there will be expected some uh, members on both sides of the aisle uh, that will not show up, will not be there for various reasons, absences. Remember, the Democrats, every time, every ballot, have hit 212, the number, the maximum number that they have, the votes. Uh, If there are fewer, uh, it changes the math. And your magic number becomes less, and that is possible uh, to then have that number as long as it's more than 212. Uh, but there will be some Democrats missing as well. So if you get Matt Gates and um, and some of the others, Norman, just to vote present, it'll got drop the number down. But if you go below Hakeem Jeffries, Jeffries becomes Speaker. Good luck with that. I'll take some calls on where you stand. A lot of people think they just love what these 19 are doing. I don't. I think that a lot of this stuff could have been done behind the scenes. You wait a day or two, final thought. think this is not, doesn't look good on Kevin McCarthy for his purposes because it shows you're not making your first deal, your deal, you couldn't pull off. How are you going to deal with a budget? How are you going to deal with Ukrainian funding? How are you going to deal with investigations? How are you going to deal with the lack of compliance when it comes to subpoenas? So to, to get, go against my argument, which I just did, Kevin McCarthy doesn't look good because he didn't get this deal done. And you know that Nancy Pelosi did a deal. One of the things she said to the squad is, I just need two more years. Give me two more years and I'm not coming back. And she held to her word and she got all the votes. So I think McCarthy wants more than two years. I think he wants to stay in in the majority. Very, uh, Very often when you lose the majority, you go to the minority, you quit like Denny Haster did. But... You know, Nancy Pelosi went to minority, says, I have nothing else to do. And we have a husband waiting for me 3,000 miles away with a hole in his head thanks to a hammer attack, which we still don't know details about. But at 82, I'd still rather be a backbencher. But that's the deal she cut. When we come back, these Idaho murders that has every college kid transfixed because obviously people can resonate, especially have an off-campus housing in a place that you think is primarily safe. We have details from an affidavit released yesterday. We have a, a suspect as well. So we'll go into that uh, and then also discuss what's going on at the board of the president's going. Guess what? 
There's no Republican congressional travel uh, group going with him right now. He's going to go by himself. And I think that's a mistake. I think Governor Abbott should really show up in El Paso and stay with him the entire time. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, the Friday edition. Don't move. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We know ahead of time, before we get into the evidence, Sean, is that on Reddit, he put something out saying, you know, I'm studying for my Ph.D. in criminology. If you're a criminal, what did you think? How did it feel? He was collecting all of this information. And so we've got him casing, targeting the uh, this home. We've got him returning to the scene of the crime. And what we've got is an eyewitness. Yeah, uh, you have an eyewitness. You also have the phone showing he's been there 12 times. He even came after the murder the next day at about 9 o'clock in the morning. And what you do is have, mysteriously, his dad flies out for him to drive back home. Really? Guy's 28 years old and needs to drive back with his dad. Don't you think his dad probably knew, logic would tell you, that something was up? And, of course, we're talking about the Idaho murders, uh, this brutal, grisly situation where uh, this guy perhaps— uh, maybe for the first time, if we're to believe some of the reports, this Brian Kohlberger, uh, as he sits in a jumpsuit now, uh, extradited uh, from Pennsylvania. He is now in Idaho. And uh, it turns out that this guy, he seemed to fit the description of one of the roommates. One of the roommates came down and came front to face to face with a guy about 5'10", they say thin but athletic build, who had bushy eyebrows and was wearing a mask. Obviously, these are all clues. We had no idea and when this roommate sees him on the inside of the house, goes back to her room and locks her door. She had said earlier that she said she heard crying and pleading, but she thought maybe there was on social media, perhaps. There's something really weird there. Obviously not a great decision. I understand you freeze when you see a would-be murderer or an intruder, but not to call for hours seems to me, from what I know, let me say odd. So at 4 a.m., uh, this guy receives a, a Kernodal, one of the roommates, receives a DoorDash food order at the home. Uh, the surviving roommate, who ended up coming face-to-face with this guy, said she heard what sounded like uh, gun claves uh, playing with her dog in the bedroom. Obviously, there was something else going on. From 4 to 4.12, one of the roommates said this, who would later see him face-to-face, that she heard 
uh, gunclave say, there's someone in here. So the roommate opened up her door and looked around a second time after she thought she heard crying from the adjacent room. Cellular records at 412 show Kernodal was using TikTok and therefore likely awake. This is the last precise timestamp provided from the home in the affidavit. A neighbor security camera caught a distorted audio of what sounds like a whimper followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking. The roommate opened up her door a third time and encountered the suspected killer that we all see in a jumpsuit right now. That was between 420 and 425. She froze. A white Hyundai Elantra, believed to be driven by Kohlberger, was seen departing the area at that time. Police believe the crime would have been carried out up until 425. Why she wasn't attacked is odd, thankfully, but it's weird. You go and try, you kill four people, and then you see a fifth, and you keep walking. He also was heard saying, they overheard someone saying, you're going to be okay. When someone said there's someone here, says you're going to be okay. Obviously, nobody was. But now we have some more details. So here's Brian Foley, former homicide detective, talking about the roommate that came face-to-face with the alleged killer. Cut 15. There is only one person to be vilified here, and that's the monster that killed those four people. Hard stop right there. To vilify this uh, witness um, is is wrong. Look, you don't know how you're going to react in certain situations. As cops, we train for it, and we, we see so many scenarios, and we think of how we're going to react. The average person, you don't know how you're going to react. You don't know the scenario. You just you perfectly just described uh, what that house was probably like. Uh, the movement after hours, you had a you had a, an Uber or a, a food drop off at 4 a.m. from like a DoorDash. Uh, there's a lot going on there. I I. I know witnesses that have lived with this, and, and it is an awful, awful thing to live with for the rest of your entire life. And I, and I feel bad uh, that she's in that scenario. It's horrible. That It's so easy to, to judge, and we all say how we would react. Bottom line, you don't know how you're going to react. There's one bad guy in this situation. He's behind bars. No kidding. What we don't know is how he entered the house. We don't know whether anyone knew him because we know he was stalking the house. And why he walked by one roommate at the end. And the motivation for the killing entirely. Jonathan Gilliam, cut 18. He's a former FBI special agent. These people are hunters. Uh, but I think in this case, what the evidence shows is that he was very interested in that neighborhood, specifically where that house was on King Street leading up to that time. You know, the way these things work out and the way these, these psychopathic killers work um, that, that's just the way that they are. They're there, they're very aggressive, but they can be startled very easy. And I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that uh, this guy has killed multiple people. Uh, we know that he stalked people or was at least going to a, a pub or a brewery there in Pennsylvania and was asking bizarre questions of women. So we know that he has a pattern of this behavior. Evidently, he applied to intern with the police department. We know he was going for his Ph.D. We know that he was teaching a class, proctoring a class. Uh, We know he went back and taught after these murders took place. We also know that they were following him, and they had state troopers pull him over two or three times. They wanted to see, I guess, about his eyebrows now that we've read the affidavit. They also wanted to see his hands, see if there are any cuts on his hands. And you just wonder what the dad knew. So at least the victim's families would have a chance to get into that courtroom and make him uncomfortable every moment that he's still alive.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, Pete Hegseth is here. Pete, uh, we're talking about the breakthrough that could be happening for a speaker. We're also talking about what's happening with the 28-year-old uh, Brian Koberger, who's been accused of killing those four Idaho uh, students. And we're also talking about what's happening on Sunday in El Paso. I've not really discussed, and by the way, good to see you. Good to see you. Interesting thing that you're doing here. I didn't even know, and I know you could. You have your clothes made for you, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of them, right. thanks, thanks to Fox. You have, and this is, this is a compliment. I'm just going to notice this. If you're not watching the stream, you have stripes that go across. Correct. And then when it comes to the sleeve, they go down. Yes. Have you noticed this, Allison? Have you? <clears throat> I, there aren't many shirts that have I've never seen, that go never seen anything horizontal. Like yeah. I picked it out. I can have my guy talk to your guy. But, I mean, has this been done? Did someone did it? Someone say, wait, whoa, whoa, let's put the, put the brakes on this. Well, mostly they say horizontal stripes make you look wider. Yeah. But don't we want that? I want to look bigger and wider. Not in the Dan Marino before and after <laughs> shots that we watch with Weight Watchers. Uh, but, well, we'll see. I'm just saying it's something noteworthy. Thank you for your attention to detail. Right. Uh, so today you're, you have a busy day. Yeah, I got a lot going on, just like you. You got you doing Dan's uh, Bongino show. Bongino right? show. I think Sean's show tonight. They're doing a live audience show. Nine o'clock. A lot happening with the speakers race. So we'll see what happens then. Yeah, we'll see what's happening. But I think you're doing something else. Are you doing something else? I'm doing a. I got a couple other private meetings. If you'd like me to open up my calendar yeah, go for ahead. your audience. Go ahead. All right, we've got a review of how the New Year's Eve show went. Really, uh, with who, a couple who, producers. Who's going to go over with, uh, that? With you that. know, Brian Tully, Megan right. Obano. A couple of producers here with a lot of sway. We're actually going to do an after-action report. We're doing an after-action to make sure next year's is even better than last year's. Right. I'm meeting with Steph Freeman. She produces uh, Cudlow Show. Oh, I'm going to be on that, too. Just to catch up. She's oh, this friend. is just, you just want to say hello. Just to say hello. Yeah, I'm probably going to go talk to Gavin Haddon, who produces Fox & Friends, just to say hello. Right. But, they, but you know, they know you're up to something. When you walk in there. So I try to mix it up so that every once in a while I'm up to nothing. <laughs> so they think when I Got show no agenda. Up, right. No agenda. Then when you do go in and there. And every third time there's a big agenda item that I'm trying to push. Right. I remember the other day you came in. I think the headline was too much Will. That was it. Will Kane. Today, I'm not going to say that. Right. But Three visits the point from was now, made. Do you remember what I said about Will? Right. How many limit times? Limit his word I... count, please. Right. And do you keep tallies too? Yes. That's right. Jennifer, my wife, your former producer right uh she at home tabulates every word stated on fox and friends weekend and the we biggest... go over it when i come home and we after action it and then right. i send in my complaints and the other thing is the big question is the contractions count as one word or two words we we go with two when the other person is speaking right it's because two words then it's two words when i when i do a contraction it's only one right is, is do you think will's too deep a thinker He's a deep thinker. Right. He's does an it, does analytical it make you think, mind. Yeah. Does it make you think when you answer, I didn't put enough thought into this, it and I fall on short? It makes me wonder, why don't I think this deeply about right. things? Anything. Anything at all, <laughs> as much as right. Bill Kane analyzes. Like Will, Will said to me, and it, was, and it was so true, Like the fact that I'm still thinking about it, he said to me, when are you on the air? And I thought it was building towards a comedy. He goes, oh, I go, I'm doing the morning show, and I do the radio show, and I got to hit it too. And then he asked me to fill in on the five. I th- he goes... Yeah, I can never do that. I go, he goes, because I need to t- step back and think about things. So I go, wow. So <laughs> he didn't mean to insult me, but the more I thought about it, I, I'm going, he's like, he's saying that I'm not thinking. Yeah, I'm he's just doing. He effectively said the same thing to me. <laughs> really? We'll bring up like, like how hey, do you well, do? I want to get a pair of cowboy boots. He'll be like, wow, you got it. The history of cowboy boots. And I've thought about You don't just get them. Pointy toe, square toed, halfway toe, what shade, what leather. I'm like, yo, bro, I just, I just want to get like walk into the store and grab a pair. Right. 
he th- but that is such a Will. wonderful part of Will Kane. Right. He just dissects everything yeah. down to the minutia. It's like you could live your life wrong. I'm just going to tell you the right way to do it, <laughs> yeah. which is my way, by outlining how different your life is than mine. He had 20 resolutions for 2023. Did he write? He Are you kidding? He listed them on Were his Were they his personal or for his the country? personal uh, resolutions, 20 of them on Instagram. Right. Which I plan to keep a running tally all year long of how he's doing. So uh, I noticed one question that Will got out of that he, and I just give him so much credit. So uh, they were talking about what happened with DeMar yep. and his, his injury on Monday and the, the whole country was praying for him. And Ainsley said, just tell me, would, you know, what your faith, how do you, how, what do you do with your faith? And he goes, Ainsley, I'm always looking to get better, but that's something I keep private. And I'm like, wow, now even in a Will Kane way, he kept it private in a classy way. He did a nice job. As if it's his fault. It's something he's working on. It's, uh, it's true. He's very self-reflecting. I'm, getting, I'm having a self-reflective moment here that maybe you like Will Kane more than you like me. I would say this. I feel very – I don't feel like you're judging me as much as Will does. <laughs> like I feel like I could be myself. No, you don't expect me to have a deep thought. Oh, so I'm a low-expectation guy. Yeah. Easy to be around, like an old shoe. Surfacy. Yeah. Surfacy. Like an old shoe that you're almost ready to get rid of. <laughs> Right. Yep. But you wear every day. You wear every day. Because? Because it's comfortable. And you know it's going to be there. Always delivers. The worst is when you break a shoelace and you realize the damage on the eyelet on the other side. And you say to yourself, how do I ever get this through this small hole? And I don't have a 1-800-deliver-me-a-shoelace hotline. What do do guys like me who don't think that much? I just tie a knot on the end. And I say, you're never going back through that hole. You mean you're a guy with military training? Yeah. Like you're in Iraq. And you're saying to yourself, my lace broke. You can't say, uh, I got to call Amazon. I need a new eyelet. Right. You no. can't say that. You, you just have... tie that thing in a knot and <laughs> right. drive on. Which makes, that's why we have the finest fighting force. <laughs> if you go to the Russians, wouldn't do that. The Russians would demand to go back. They would say, and their commanders would say, what, you want boots? Right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the rest of them and don't even have boots. For both feet. Both. <laughs> right. General, go ahead. I'm right behind you. That's yes. that's what the Russians say, only in Russian. Absolutely. We've, they've, they've lost 18 generals. It's I think incredible. it's probably up to 23 now. And they're bringing back, like, really obese guys who are in retirement. Right. Generals now. And prisoners. And prisoners. Who aren't fighting for the actual Russian force. They're fighting for the Wagner mercenary force. The mercenary group. So it's if Blackwater, now no longer existent, was leading us in Afghanistan and Iraq. It was kind of the case at some <laughs> points. <laughs> they did some contractors. but They had a lot of contractors at one point. Right, but, in, but they would stay to fight with you, and it's not like, hey, I got a better deal. I'm going to Nambia. So, like, you know, they were Americans. They were, and very committed vets, combat vets. I don't know how we got here. I'm not but sure. But if I needed Will Kane to be a mercenary force for you and I, he would be there for us. Nope, he'd think about it. And he'd go, <laughs> let, me, let me see what that means. So here What's is, the, the, the audio's not great, but it sets the table. Kevin McCarthy on the chance of him being speaker today. Cut one. It has undercut your potential power as speaker. Has it undercut the power of all the other speakers? But it was used over John so Boehner. So why would it cut? But, 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 but actually, you know, we have this position since 1859. I mean, does that inherently mean that you would be a weaker speaker? No. Explain. No. It would only be a weaker speaker if I was a freedom. Who's that last hey, what word? What was that last yeah, word? That last word was so key. Oh, afraid. Afraid. Right. It sounds like concessions are being made. It sounds like I'd be surprised if he got it today. It sounds like today might be a whittling down of the 10 or 12 who are part of the 20 
whose whose resistance are not as personal as that core five or six, because it seems like he's meeting a lot of the concessions. I will say this. It feels like a lot of the concessions are a return to the way the House used to operate before a lot of the power was consolidated in the speaker's gavel. And in that sense, if we can get back to some regular order where there's transparency on bills, that's a good thing. So I'm not as pessimistic or disheartened by the fact that there's multiple ballots. Let it go on. It doesn't bother me. But ultimately, they're going to need to coalesce. We need a house. Kevin McCarthy. We do need a house. It's not like it's even functioning with it. We don't need a house? No. Uh, More uh, bad ideas, more bad bills being passed out of Washington, D.C.? Well, they're not all bad. I mean, I would want to see Mike uh, McCall, head of foreign relations. I want to see – I want to see – uh, Michael Waltz in charge of armed I services. I do too, but they're all going to die in the Senate, and they're all going to be vetoed by Joe Biden. So nothing policy-wise is actually going to change. You can create a contrast, and you've had the power of the purse, so you have real leverage there. To me, it's the investigations of what the committees can do when they have those gavels. If that happens tomorrow, great. If it happens two weeks from now, that's fine. We've been waiting two right. years for this. We so, can wait so, another couple so weeks. So, Pete, I thought uh, two days ago I said it's going to go 19, it's going to go 17, it's going to go 12, and then – Let's see if we can get below seven. But then I heard this with Bill Hammer yesterday. I think there is an agreement. Uh, I think it's uh, a reasonable agreement. And I think what's uh, holding it up right now is there, there's sort of a blood oath between the 20 that they won't move until they're all ready to move. And so even though uh, 9, 10, 11 of them may agree to this uh, uh, compromise that's been reached, I don't think that they will uh, all move until uh, they're all ready to move. Interesting. I mean, you alluded to that this morning as well. Congressman Buck. That could be the case. I mean, hey. you. you so far, it looks like it's a case. It looks because like it may be the case again today. I just don't know. Point will be made. I have the same frustrations with the uniparty that oftentimes mm-hmm. is the case in Washington, D.C. They see Kevin McCarthy as a reflection of that. I think he'll govern more conservative than most people think, likely because of this process, because of Trump, because of the pressure, and because – you better create that contrast considering what the Senate and White House are doing right now. I, I'm just not worried. This is a lot of process and a lot of cable news. But ultimately, it's a good thing when parties have it out over what the future of that party should be. And people who get comfortable where they are are made uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. I still think it ends with Kevin McCarthy as the speaker. I hope so. I, and one thing, I guess, they made a strategic error. He said, I'm not giving in anymore and I have earned it. I deserve it. That was the exact opposite of what the 19 wanted to hear. But every once in a while, I just got to jar, remind myself, we're talking about one party. I keep thinking to myself, this is, keep going to remind myself, it's not the squad. You're not going against Nancy Pelosi. These are people that you've always wore the same jersey with. So it just shows you people, what they're trying to do on other channels and in uh, almost every other uh, printed page is link January 6th, which today is, and the chaos in the House, saying Republicans are coming to part of the scenes. Trump's party... And power is falling apart. And they're saying the six was a culmination. And these people are that, – that small group is destroying the House right now. I mean that's nonsense. They want to tie anything they can to January 6th. But I think it's fair to acknowledge there is a real reckoning going on inside the Republican Party with real grassroots – call them MAGA, call them ultra-MAGA, call them conservative, call them Freedom Caucus, whatever you want – completely dissatisfied with the status quo Base of which many of the members of the Republican Party still are. You look at the condition of our country, you say getting along to go along the same way we did business is not going to work when you're $30 trillion in debt and your borders wide open. We better be willing to play real hardball, and they're 
point to Kevin McCarthy is, are you ready to play hardball or are you not? And, and they're all upset about the omnibus. Okay, but don't think for a second Kevin McCarthy was for the omnibus. But that's Mitch, that's Mitch McConnell's problem. Right, but you, they keep saying, well, the swamp. And, okay, all right. Swamp. The guy who tried to drain the swamp said vote for Kevin McCarthy. His name is President Trump. And Boebert said, well, yeah, that's too bad. He's my favorite president, but he's wrong. And Gates says he's not great at HR. He doesn't pick the best people. I, I like Gates' nomination of Donald Trump, though. I would like him to be the Speaker On the January 6th. I'm, I don't care what day it is. But it is. It was January 5th when It he is said January 6th. Fine. Make him the Speaker of the House today. Let him lead the impeachment proceedings against Mayorkas. I would love it. It's not going to happen. That's the big problem of the holdouts is they don't have a candidate they could ultimately coalesce around. Right. So they can resist, understandably so, for the reasons they've stated. But they're still beholden. And, and I, I don't like hearing the McCarthy defenders say, well, maybe it's time to cut deals with Democrats. That would be the worst idea. I, I think that's only to create leverage in negotiations with the other side as well. Yeah, Hakeem Jeffries said, no, just let them worry. He didn't even play the game. Why he would said, you yeah. play the game? Right. But, he's, but I, if I was him. If uh, I would say, hey, guys, I'm here. Obviously, you got a problem. Let's do a deal if I'm Akeem Jeffries. But he said, listen, let them work it out. But they know that Republicans know that's a political death sentence if you cut a deal with the Democrats to get the majority. I mean, talk about being primary. You're you, you are confirming that you are the uniparty. So here's here's what Trey Gowdy said. He is optimistic. Cut nine. I think progress is being made. Uh, I, I, I hope I'm not. Um, uncharacteristically optimistic in saying that. I mean, my friends tell me they're actually talking right now. So you got to whittle the 20 down. Look, Brett, the other night, four Republicans voted with Democrats on the motion to adjourn. You can just forget about those four. If you really are going to side with the Democrats and allow this spectacle to play out on primetime television, then you're not interested in what's best for the Republican Party. But that leaves 16. And I think Kevin's trying to pick them off one by one. And do you know what his point was there? His point was you have to get the vote to adjourn. You can't just stop voting. Yep. And the fact that Republicans were saying keep voting when you knew it was just going to be the same result again, they wanted to adjourn. They expected Democrats to taunt them with it, but they have more numbers. So if you vote not to adjourn, you can't say you're serious about doing uh, getting things done as Trey Gowdy. Or friend. they're serious about not wanting Kevin McCarthy. I know we've done 12 ballots. I, I was just watching America's Newsroom when I came up here. They showed the historical precedent of other Congresses much further back. 36 ballots, 72 ballots, over 100 ballots. This, we could have that kind of scenario where it, the heels are dug in and one of them's waiting for the other side to blink. And they don't. I don't think we should write off the possibility that we're here a week from now talking about the 34th ballot. All right. So are you taping the show, Allison? Good. Uh, Because I'm going to say it's going to end today. You're saying it's ending today. I'm saying it's ending today. I'm saying there's no chance it ends today. You're still taping, Allison? Okay. Excellent. We're going to be able to play this back. I'm going to be back back here on Friday next week because I'm I'm in for Steve on Friday next week as well. We shall play that clip, and I will bet you – I was going to bet you Bitcoin, but it's not worth anything anymore, so yeah. I, I can't do that. I'll just a friendly bet that they're still voting by Friday of next week. Lunch after the show, uh, after, uh, at after Del Frisco's, radio, at Del Frisco's. Lunch at Del Frisco's, loser pays. At almost all of it, including, including of the it. tip. My drinks too? Right, your drink. Well, that's tough. No one can actually pay for your drinks. <laughs> no. That's why you have a tab. That's right? exactly right. So you're looking just exactly to chip right. away at it, Pete. Yes, every time. I've got Back in a moment. I pay both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I've traveled over 140 countries around the world. I'll paraphrase the phrase in my own neighborhood. The rest of the countries, the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do, we need to do. Exactly. So well said. (laughs) Right. Eloquent. Yeah, right to the point. It reminds me of my old neighborhood because we always talked about genes and patches. And the patches on the genes were where you thought people were from? I don't understand. Is he saying because my genes might say made in Bangladesh, then that's the only thing I think of? I think you're actually thinking of that's you talking supply chain. Uh, A couple of things. (laughs) Uh, Every time he's off prompter, his people must just panic. Yesterday, he was asked about the border, and he stopped in the middle. No, he's asked about the standoff on speakers. And he said, what he looked at Kamala Harris and said, what word am I looking for? He said, attention. Attention. So both of them make no sense together. This was such an opportunity for someone, a former attorney general, senator. You could be more supportive than Mike Pence and more powerful if she was competent, if she was good. capable. And she was supportive, evidently, behind the scenes. She's not even – she doesn't feel she's supported, horrible person to work for. And he couldn't be more disappointed, especially with the border. I mean, would think about this. If you're her, he had the border, and he didn't do a good job. But at least he was flying around talking to people while making deals with Hunter. But he was doing it. He totally – she totally blew him off on everything she's she's asked him. I guess. I mean, do you really think they had an expectation that Kamala Harris was going to secure the border? Or did they just toss the most difficult task to her because they said – Oh, you know what? I'd be be in a jean shirt every day (laughs) trying to – going out there going, we got to get to the bottom of this with goggles on, a hard hat. Reading books to actors. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. The child actors. Yes. Who do we have on on Sunday? I don't know who's on the show. I don't know who's on the show, but it's going to be great. I'm going to be on. You're going to be on. That was your opportunity. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be a big hour. Geraldo's waiting on board, just getting out of the shower. He wanted me to buy some time. Shannon Bream, the same Shannon Bream from Fox News Sunday, chief Fox News legal correspondent. Man, do we have a lot to talk to her about as it officially, it's not only been her show for the last few months, but officially in 2023 to really take hold. As you know, it's a a place to listen to and to go to as we come to you uh, on a daily basis. But that show will be based now in uh, is based in Washington. I think the only one based in New York City is is the ABC show, which uh, was a bunch of specials. So we're really catching up and finding out what's going on. Today's January 6th. We know there's there's all types of Capitol Hill marking two years since the January 6th riots. We also know the Democrats are going overboard as bad as it was. I'm never going to make an excuse for it. You know about it in real time, said it then. Now they're trying to link all Republicans and the and the kerfuffle that they're having with naming a speaker to January 6th. Just like Ultra MAGA is a label that Joe Biden thinks he could market. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Title 42 or not, the border is not open. 
we will continue to fully enforce our immigration laws in a safe, orderly, and humane manner. Yup, HHS Secretary, Biden's border plan, a step in the right direction, but not the cure for the border, which he broke days from his first ever visit to El Paso. We will discuss... Number two. His cell phone pinged in the area of the crimes at least a dozen times before the attacks. Police also say that a white Hyundai was seen speeding away after the attack. From there, they were able to track that car's toll tag from Washington State all the way to Pennsylvania. There in Pennsylvania, they got a DNA sample from his parents' trash bin. That DNA sample linked back to the knife sheet. Unbelievable, right? Mystery solved. Details of the murders of those University of Idaho students were revealed in a courtroom yesterday when a 28-year-old Brian Kohnberger made his first appearance in a jumpsuit. I'll bring you the grisly details, even though we still don't know his motive. Number one. This is like the, the fringe. Right. This is this is not mega Republicans who are doing this. These are people who are so, so part of the right and so destructive that they're even beyond Trump uh, in terms of the, uh, of where they are. And they want to burn the whole thing down. Uh, Mark Thiessen, that is the review of many people. I do. I'm not sure what their approach is. He thinks he does know. Breakthrough. That's word coming from Kevin McCarthy's office after 11 unsuccessful rounds of votes in a quest for a speaker. The latest details coming your way. Geraldo. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of these procedures, but it's been like Groundhog Day. They have the vote. Nothing really changes. A few uh, presents, a few for Jim Jordan, a few for Byron Donalds. And then we go back to voting again. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Can you put it in perspective? Well, I I think you have a real situation where radical, ultra-right-wing members, a handful of them, a, a clique of them, is holding the uh, the other House Republicans and and through them the uh, entire Congress of the United States, the government of the United States, hostage. I think it's really uh, it's uh, embarrassing. It's deplorable. It's uh, you know you could go on and on with all of the uh, you know the moaning and wailing, but Matt Gates and this crew of gangsters really are. Uh, uh, they're holding the government of the United States hostage. What are they going to get? What can Kevin McCarthy give them? Uh, you know, it reminds me a lot, Brian. I was thinking about this. It's it's a lot like what's happening in Israel. In Israel, you have some ultra-religious, ultra-right-wing, a handful of them uh, that are that Netanyahu is bringing into the government because he needs them to make a majority. So they have disproportionate leverage over Netanyahu in Israel. That's where you're getting some of these far-out members of the Netanyahu government in in Israel, uh, much to the dismay of Israel and lovers of democracy everywhere. Uh, That's being played out here. I have no doubt, but that eventually uh, Kevin McCarthy will uh, will be sustained and uh, you know uh, he'll give away whatever he has to uh, to get these uh, these 20 but the fact that they could hold the government of the United States hostage the way they have it is so arrogant uh, every time I see Matt Gates now on uh, on Fox or on C-SPAN or say what the hell are you doing you dope uh, you know what is this for your ego uh, you know what are you going to get and uh, it's just so pathetic it's it's so beyond anything rational reasonable or patriotic it makes me sick uh listen i don't feel as strongly as you but i do lean your direction i i just if you have a different point of view but you have a goal and a strategy let's hear it 
but just sitting there holding everything up, smugly talking to uh, squad member Democrats who you have nothing in common with, just to kind of put it in the face of other people that believe that Kevin McCarthy is the right way to go. Who, by the way, this is all party politics, your party. Here's a little of the exchange last night with Laura Ingram. Cut five. Great. I love President Trump. I defended him a great deal in Congress, but uh, HR wasn't always his strong suit. You know, President Trump got us folks like Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr and Jim Mattis and Mark Esper, people who didn't always advance America First policy. So while I think Trump has the vision, I do. I think President Trump is wrong to the extent that he supports Kevin McCarthy. I'm going to support President Trump if he or when he runs uh, for re-election in 2024, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to back him on this play. By the way, I like all those guys. I love Mattis, love Bill Barr. Jeff Sessions always been classy. And Mark Esper did an admirable job. So I don't know what he's talking about. And, and, and furthermore, you, you know, one of the – I think one of the great interviews uh, we've seen on television in, in recent months, maybe years, is – Watching uh, Sean Hannity with Lloyd Bobart from uh, Colorado on uh, Hannity's show a couple of nights ago. Uh, he is the most reasonable conservative. Uh, they, you know, uh, he, he's such a patriot, Sean is. Yeah. He's such a, you know, he's the, he's the best of conservatives to me. He's a, you know, he's reasonable, he's rational, he's a, he's fair-minded, and he was so flustered by her. He was so, what the hell are you doing? I, you know, you tell me. All right, now what 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 will make you move? What is it? Uh, you know, is it? I I was so watching him. I was, first of all, I, uh, you know, I, I, he's a dear friend of ours. Uh, I yeah. love watching. Hey, do you want to hear some of it? Frustration. Do you want to hear so, some of it? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. You don't have the votes, and it's time to withdraw. He has 203. Your side has 20. Why is it time for him to withdraw and not you when he has so many more votes? Well, Sean, he needs 218, and he does not have 218. We've been trying Neither to work this you. out in private, as you said, for months. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even want to listen to us until his disappointing midterms. We all want a unified party. But this isn't chaos. It's a functioning constitutional republic. When everything is said and done, okay, I like the uh, House Republicans will be stronger and better prepared to lead than we ever have before. And he went on and he just she basically just comes out with rhetoric and what I think is almost something you see in a campaign trail going against a Democrat. But she doesn't understand that this is not a game. This isn't sloganeering. This isn't marketing. This is just decision making. And that from someone who barely eked out a three. Yeah. uh, Three tenths of one percent victory in a heavily Republican district. She should have routed in that district. She barely won to hang on by her fingernails and goes and, and takes that uh, that lack of a mandate and parlays it into uh, all this attention. And how much of it is just for attention? I wonder how much of it is just, you know, to get their jollies. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's really pathetic. So I, I was talking I, to Pete. I, I, I'm not amused by it. I, I know that you, you also like Pete. Pete was just in here, and Pete Hegseth of Fox News, obviously, Terrific. said, uh, I have no problem. He goes, I goes, I have no problem with this process. Let's just have it play out. Maybe he'll just be a more conservative, stronger speaker. Uh, and he does not say, and a lot of people don't have that much of a problem, not many, but a lot of people on the right don't have much of a problem with it. People that are upset about it, Mark Levin was upset about it on Sunday. You know, last week, he's like, guys, what are you doing? Why is he not, you know, what do you mean you're going to stand in the way of Kevin McCarthy? And he took on Matt Gates. So when you have alienated 
Mark Levin and I'll just leave Mark Levin and Sean Hannity. When you are, when they're not conservative enough for you, I think it's time to go to a therapist if you're a Republican. I agree. I agree. And what's it going to say about the Republican Party? I am a Republican. What's it going to say about the Republican Party going forward to 2024? I mean, is this uh, is this the way they're going to govern where, uh, you know, some uh, uh, some highwaymen can can stick up the whole government and hold it, uh, you know, uh, in stasis uh, when they, uh, you know, uh, parade around posturing? Uh, you know, is this going to be every Every piece of uh, controversial uh, legislation, are we going to be held hostage by, uh, you know, some uh, some buccaneers who, who uh, you know, I, you know, I, I thought about this. Sorry, I thought, what, what's it like? Where did I hear these uh, th- these phrases before? You know what? It's Marlon Brando in The Wild One. Uh, you know, uh, when confronted by a member of the community, said, uh, uh, "What do you what are you rebelling against?" Uh, Brando says, uh, "What do you got?" Uh, and, and, and James Dean in, uh, in uh, Rebel Without a Cause. These are rebels without a cause. Uh, you know, they, it's like the diary of a mad housewife, to continue the movie analogy. Uh, you know, he, he, what's the point of this? Is this for the conservative movement? Is this going to, you know, uh, lead to a, a different government? Or do they want, as I started with that Israel analogy, do they want disproportionate power Within the their rules. own caucus. Well, within the, rules. The, the, the rules the committee. Radicals. Uh, they do actually want that in the rules committee. But here's the other thing to, to keep in mind, too, is that a lot of people are pointing to Kevin McCarthy not showing great leadership for bringing this to the floor and lasting 11 rounds and not being able to take those weeks after the election verdict and do something. Because they say that part of True. being a leader is not having this happen. Listen, that, that's fine, uh, but there's an awful lot of Democrats who were along with Kevin McCarthy. Everyone thought this was going to be a cakewalk. Everyone thought that this was going to happen. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, they were making some mutterings here or there, but they wouldn't dare, uh, you know, paralyze the government of the United States of America. But yeah, the fact of the matter is they they have dared, and uh, I, I fear that uh, the hubris is the goal. It's it's not the, just the tactic. It's also the goal, just to disrupt, uh, to delay, uh, to distract. Uh, you know, and I think it's really pathetic. Well, uh, when are you coming back for the five? Uh, next week. I got, uh, I'm going to do four days in a row uh, at the end of next week and, uh, and the other side of the MLK weekend and then the end of the month. Uh, you know, I'm an old man. I can't. Uh, I, I, I can't be. On the, I, after the experience I had uh, over the holidays, getting a teenager from Tampa back to Cleveland, I, I don't want to travel so much. Oh, you date? You were stuck. Yeah, stuck Southwest. Yeah. yeah, it was really. It was a. It was. It was bad. I can, I, can I say one thing off yes. topic? Uh, these these Idaho murders. I'm, I'm, I love the cops. They've done a great job. They tracked them down. They got the DNA. But I think that there's going to be questions about what happened in that murder house after the confrontation with the eyewitness at 4 a.m. approximately. How come they didn't call the cops until noontime? Great. How come did they fall back asleep? What happened? Uh, you know, what didn't? What? What? What is the explanation? for the survivors in that house not calling the cops for so long. 
I think that's a question that defense attorneys are going to be looking at. You know, I had one of the dads on today, and I I, I debated on that question to him, but I don't want to create a rivalry between somebody in that house after all the tragedy. But I think it's going to have to – it's going to be front and center soon because we're going to be debating this question for a while. This trial is going to be out there. And this guy – just real quick, you sat down with – with Manson and so many other people in prison, does this guy look to you first blush? I know everyone's got a right to a fair trial. Does he look like a killer to you? Absolutely. He looked like a, a killer. He meets the description. Uh, you know, uh, to me, I, I look at him and I say, this is the kind of guy that kills his mother. Wow, because, you know, up until this moment, this guy was uh, going for his Ph.D. at a prestigious university. So he was fooling a lot of people for a long time, perhaps. Well, uh, we'll I, see. I, you know, he could uh, he, he could be that that clever. He certainly used his knowledge of uh, criminology uh, to try to cover his tracks. Uh, uh, but he didn't uh, count on is the dogged nature of uh, cops when pressed, uh, and and the the indelible uh, proof offered by DNA. If you if your if your crap is on uh, the knife scabbard. Uh, and it's also, uh, you know, on, on, you know, they got him. They got him. They got the DNA. I just want to know how they uh, how they didn't get him at uh, four in the morning. Got it. Uh, Geraldo, always great. I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay, Brian. See you next week, buddy. All right. Uh, he's Geraldo Rivera. When we come back, your turn, one 408 We're waiting, uh, I guess, within two hours. Uh, we're going to go back to voting. I think things going to break today. What do you think? Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Shannon Bream will bring us insight what's going on from the Capitol Hill perspective uh, about the, the, the quest to get a speaker. And I think even Democrats are starting to say this is getting bad because I I can't gavel in. I can't get to my office. I can't get my health insurance. I can't get an agenda, even though I'm in the minority. Mike, who's on WNDB in Daytona, Florida. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'd like to provide the other side, Brian. I'm a conservative Republican out here, John Q. Public, and I love what they're doing. And I think at the end of it all, you're going to love what they're doing. Geraldo is, Mark Levin, Mark Thiessen, all you talking heads are going to like the fact that we're moving toward term limits and a balanced budget. But, Brian, I got a question for you. I, I saw where uh, McCarthy has agreed that any one person in the House can challenge him to yep. like a confidence vote. I want to know, Brian, and maybe you can find this out. If they do that, how many votes does McCarthy have to get to stay in? I think it's going to be a simple majority. I don't think he's going to have to go through what he's going through right now. Right. The great point. This is how this is how we think alike. I texted Chad Pergram this morning at about five and he wrote me back in. You know, he's our expert. He said simple majority, but depends on how they write it. So there might be something in there that says, uh, you know, that makes it harder. But, you know, uh, he's got to do something pretty extreme to get kicked out. So sign an omnibus bill, which he's never going to do. You know, one of the things said, uh, come up with a, board, uh, a plan for enforcing the border. Do you think for a second Kevin McCarthy would be against coming up with a plan for the border? And do you think he'd be against balancing the budget? Come up with it. 
Get they have a finance committee. Come up with an idea. Are you saying that uh, you want Kevin McCarthy to make sure to sign off on it? Okay. Make him make sure that you think he's against balancing the budget. Show me a plan. As a speaker, you're not really drawing up those plans. That's supposed to, in theory, come out of committee. So the things I just have a, a problem with the things they're complaining about. And you're not getting a guy from Mars that just got elected. He's been around. And as minority leader, if you were that disappointed, I don't never knew about it until they got the majority. And it was pretty clear that he was going to be speaker. Everybody knew he was going to be speaker. The bigger question was, Keem Jeffries, would Nancy Pelosi step aside? That seems to be very simple. But I appreciate your point, Mike. Always great. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And here's the thing, also, which we, which we're, which is the huge irony of this whole situation. The reason this House majority is so small is because we nominated too many candidates like Gates around the around the country. We nominated too many extreme candidates, and vote, voters didn't endorse Joe Biden. They rejected a lot of Republicans because we chose badly, and because. So many of those candidates lost. We have this small minority, a small majority, which now empowers the same people who got rejected at the polls to, to, you know, the same lunatics to run the asylum. And that's an exasperated Mark Thiessen. And you can't even say, and this is what people should keep in mind. People love to be counter, uh, uh, counter institutionalists. I understand it. Uh, we want to go in there, we want to go in there, we want to turn the table over, we want to flip the chairs, and we want to change things and make it more efficient. Just so you know, you're going against Donald Trump, who actually started this whole thing. So you can't even say, well, X, Y, and Z, Brian Kilmeade, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, those guys are just anti-Trump. No. They're anti, they're pro-McCarthy. Not really. Uh, you know, Paul Ryan, I thought, did damage to the Republicans when he said, I'm quitting, just not for two years. So then he was basically not unmotivated and checked out. And Kevin McCarthy did all the work. Kevin McCarthy did all the fundraising. Kevin McCarthy did all the leadership training. Kevin McCarthy says, okay. And then sure enough, they lost the House as expected. Most people do, as, as Joe Biden just did. And they went to minority. And then for two years, he almost came and took it back two years ago. And he took it back this time. Not that he deserves it. But if you had a major problem, I would have heard about it. I knew there were some people that... They were vote against him always, but if you, had, you would have heard about it. I just find that people are getting off having the power to make every uh, the cameras come on and the attention come in. And this guy, Congressman Good, is raising money as is Congressman Gates. Shannon Bream joins me right now. Shannon, I'm astounded. You know, I'm used to uh, red and blue fights, and I'm used to disagreements among uh, Trumpers and non-Trumpers. I'm not used to this. Well, listen, you better get a Snickers because the longest it ever took was 44 ballots. We're only about to go into 12 today. And no, who knows how many of these we're going to go through today. But are we talking about 1850? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been over a century, but this vote has made a lot of history already. So I think we're all praying we don't get to 44. Um, they hit 12 at 12 o'clock Eastern today. And have they made enough progress overnight? I mean, I've talked to folks who were part of these conversations who say, 
they feel like there's a big chunk of that 20 to 21 who have not been voting for McCarthy who's ready to move. They want to really pin down the details. But, you know, we've got this handful that say no matter what he concedes to them or promises him, they don't trust him and they will never vote for him. So he's got no margin for error here. By the way, I'm just just seeing this now on a separate note. DeMar Hamlin FaceTimed into the team Bill's team meeting today. Uh, He got his... He got the breathing tube out yesterday. He was able to write, and they said that they've. they've uh, they said that uh, they don't see any nerve damage right now. So it's pretty amazing. It is. You know me. I'm a person of faith. I believe in the power of prayer, and he's been getting prayers from all over the world pouring in. He's had an excellent medical team. People who did all the right things were told from the very moment that he collapsed. So I think there are so many good things working in his favor. He's a young guy. He's, you know, a professional athlete. But I love to see how this has kind of brought people together. They don't care about party or anything else. Like people are pulling for this young man. And it's a beautiful thing to see. I'll tell you another step. It's not even football fans. It's not, I was right? saying, it's not even saying, exactly. oh, Cincinnati Bengals, uh, their opponent. No, it's not even football. Okay, that's a big deal. All football. Uh, the biggest names all commenting, fine. But now the whole country. So people who never watched a down of football right. are saying, well, I, I'm pulling for this guy. I can't believe this happened. And, you know, on Saturday, uh, we're going to have the family on that may have experienced the same thing that, uh, that he experienced when he evidently got hit in the chest. Uh, this is preliminary at in between beats at exactly the wrong time that sent him into cardiac arrest. It happened mm-hmm. to a 14-year-old lacrosse goalie when he got hit in the chest with a ball. Unfortunately, no one knew what happened what was happening, and he passed away, but they made it their quest to find out what happened. And since that time, there's defibrillators on every sideline, big game, mm-hmm. small game, big baseball, football, wherever parks you go to. And obviously, they were there with the number one game in the country, the most well-financed, profitable game. They had the best doctors on board, mm-hmm. and they don't have a single game without an emergency, with a, without a hospital, ready to accept any mm-hmm. player who gets hurt on the field. So they were, they, they hit it. They were all ready to go mainly because mm-hmm. of this family and what they experienced in 1997. Yeah, and it's beautiful to see how there can be silver linings and benefits from such tragic things that, you know, people pay it forward, whether it's looking for a cure or making sure that another situation doesn't repeat the way that it did before. For one family's tragedy can be a beautiful thing for other people. And I think, too, this points to what we think is the best of sports, what it can do for us, that it distracts you from um, your own fights and worries and Twitter battles and everything else. Like you said, this is outside of football fans, too. This is the highest calling, the best, I think, of what we see in sports in that it can take us away from our own selves, our own, you know, fights and everything else to say, hey, we are pulling for this young man. Everybody is on his side. Everybody is cheering for his recovery. And it kind of brings out the best in people, which I think is what people want sports to be more about that, less about politics and a division uh, and more about unity and rising above. Yeah, I would think so, too, because for the longest time, the only time we talked sports for people that didn't care about sports was because people were kneeling during the national anthem. And then we talked about, well, you don't understand, uh, you know, whether it's Kaepernick or something else. You don't understand the black experience, the white experience. You don't understand what it's like to be a player, but be rich, but not be respected. And we're getting deep into things we never thought we were going to get into. And we're asking athletes to comment on it. This time, something organically happened uh, short of tragedy, but certain calam- certainly calamity. And then people rally around it and did something I never thought I'd see possible outside some type of terror attack. And that is stopping a game. 
mm-hmm. and they're just gonna. And what they're gonna do is fascinating. I think they're just not gonna play it. And when it comes down to seeding the teams to see who the best and the worst is in terms of who makes the playoffs, they might play it at a neutral site, knowing it's inherently unfair. Here's Josh Allen yesterday, the outstanding quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, cut thirty. Mario talking to us as a team. That's the and father. And the things that he he kind of told us and really didn't tell us. He demanded us, you know. And you you can't not honor his his request to go out there and charge forward, you know, to the best of our abilities. And obviously, we'll be playing with, I guess, less heavy hearts now, um, knowing that you know today's news was a lot of a lot of tears of joy. I'll tell you that. Um, but to know that. That's that's what he wants. That's what his dad wants. I think guys are uh, excited to get out there. And then that was yesterday uh, when it turns out that he wrote that, did we win? And then today, Mm -hmm. just while we're talking, finding out he FaceTimed into the Bills locker room. So they're going to play the Mm -hmm. Patriots this weekend. A lot of people, um, I think, are going to be very relieved to think that he's actually uh, talking. And who knows, uh, Mm -hmm. at 24 years old, if anyone could recover, it could be an elite athlete at 24 like he is and maybe walking around a hospital. So, uh, Shannon, in the big picture, I'm optimistic something's going to happen today just by reading between the lines and texting with people. What are you hearing about being the the speaker race? Well, like I said, I, I have heard from people who feel like there was movement overnight, that there were some concessions and things that really they wanted nailed down. They want them on paper. They want solid commitments. But that a chunk of that 20 to 21 who have not been voting for McCarthy are moving. But you have that handful that says never going to move no matter what. Um, and that presents a real problem for him. I think he has to show some kind of progress, some kind of momentum today. Even if he doesn't get to the 218, I think he's got to show that he's actually moving in that direction. And so um, we'll see. Uh, We start again uh, at 12, um, but there are some people who will never come to him. So can he move enough people with promises for things that they want to see? How does it look? Uh, Some people say this is the worst domestic embarrassment. Other people say this is democracy in action. Right. How does it look, Shannon? Listen, I think we're way farther inside of it than the average American has no idea this is actually happening. And I don't think that they're going to be very concerned. But there are those who say, listen, you can't get anything done on the Hill unless um, these people are sworn in and can actually start doing something. I think in six months we will have forgotten about it because everybody's memories are so short, especially when it comes to politics. But there are genuine conversations happening here in Washington about, okay, what is the plan B? Is it Scalise? Is it Jordan? Could they get people, 218 of them, to coalesce? They're having those conversations because without some progress today, they've got to start seriously thinking about other options. So uh, here is Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar with Neil Cavuto yesterday. And this is one of the reasons why I'm optimistic, as I heard this. Cut six. I'm sure that within the next 24 hours, something is going to happen. I've been, as a good journalist, you know, I did this for 35 years. I miss it. I have been talking to everyone, including the 20 holdouts. And I'm saying, hey, what is it that you know that I don't? And I hear that within the next 24 hours, something is going to happen. So... That's 24 hours. That would be now. And I don't think people mm-hmm. want to give up their weekends. Also, Shannon, do you know, I mean, Brett was briefing me a little bit, so was Chad, about what is not getting done and what is not allowed to happen because there really is no house right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, right now some of it's wonky because this would be when they get a speaker, everybody gets to get sworn in. That's not happening yet. But it would be about committee assignments, subcommittee assignments, that kind of stuff. But we're getting close to the cliff where 
you're not going to actually have a functioning Congress if you don't get people sworn in. They're not yet to, you know, hashing out legislation. That would be another couple of weeks down the road. But just the basic functioning is not happening right now. Now, some people say, great, that's exactly what we want to do. That's why we are kind of the fly in the ointment to get this thing done um, and to make sure that our voices are heard at the table. But, you know, a lot of it is just procedural at this point, but you're getting very dangerously close to where you're going to be beyond procedure and you're actually going to be, you know, getting to real life things. And speaking of real life, there are members here. One of them, his mother died this week. He wants to go home to her funeral tomorrow. One whose wife has a brand new baby. He'd like to get home. Others have, you know, real health issues and, and loved ones with health issues. This is impacting everybody, but not one person can leave Washington because every single one of these votes on both sides of the aisle is critical. Have you, I know you watch the show Saturday night at eight and then my repeat at 11, uh, one nation right now. How does that get you ready for your show? And do have you picked out guests that you want to share with our audience? Um, I don't watch a repeat at 11 only because I'm supposed to be sleeping at that point. Oh. The eight is solid and it's show prep and has to happen. So, you know, we're not, we're not moving off of that. I don't care if I get invited to the white house or to Brett Barrett's house, whatever it is, I'm not going at eight o'clock unless they're going to be playing you when I get there. And sometimes right. at the white house that happens. Um, what's nicer, Brett Bear's house or the us. white house? Listen, Brett Bear would definitely be playing you, but sometimes the White House is playing you too. They got to know what's going on in the world. Exactly. And that's why you watch Kill Me on Saturday night. Um, we've got Jim Jordan with us exclusively on Sunday. So, listen, he is one of the names that's being floated here in Washington that could possibly coalesce these groups. Is he Speaker Jordan by Sunday? I don't know. You're going to have to tune in and find out. But we're also going to talk to him about all these investigations that the House GOP is planning. Is that going to be a net positive or negative when people are dealing with inflation, all this other stuff? Do they care about Hunter Biden and all these other things that Republicans said they're going to investigate? So we'll talk to him about that. And, of course, we've got folks at the border with the president finally getting down there on Sunday, and we'll hash that out, too. Incredible. A lot going on. Uh, It'll just be great. Uh, It'll be great to watch your show and find out the latest. Uh, Shannon Bream, thanks so much. You, You are the host of Fox News Sunday. I'll see you Saturday night and then on Sunday. And guess who's joining me on the panel Sunday? The one and only Janice Dean. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be great. She could do it at all. She's fresh off from her bull riding expedition in Madison Square Garden. Right. You stiff-armed us, but we're still trying to get you on the panel, so we'll keep negotiating with your people. I was on your panel. I just wasn't in person. We need you in person. Stat. Shannon, thank you. Bye. Uh, When we come back, the lines are jammed. I'm going to go to you guys. I know you have a lot to say, and many of you disagree with me, and that's fine. Makes it a better show. Brian Kilmeade. Learning something new every day. On the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. Robin listening in Jacksonville, WOKB. Hey, Robin. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Great. What's on your mind? Oh, Matt Gates. What else? (laughs) He's infuriated me. Um, he's trying to raise money off of this. He is. I got the email this yeah, morning. Sh- oh, I got a couple of them yesterday, and I got a text, uh, probably because I supported him before. Um, while I'm not in his area, I kind of do that with various candidates around the uh, country as opposed to handing money over to the RNC. But um, I'm I'm so disappointed. I was really, I was okay with it the first day. I was thinking, all right, big protest voice. But now um, I just think it's past the point of ridiculousness. 
And I really hope somebody primaries against him when he runs for office again. And I guess he's starting uh, yesterday trying to collect money. But um, I don't find his antics or Bobart, any of them, um, helpful in any way. And if I was a, a person who was just elected into that body for the first time, um, I'd be knocking on his door right. every day. I know, but yeah, Robin, a lot of people, this guy is making money off it, believe it or not. And if it end, he's never going to vote for him. What they want to do is get him to vote present, I guess. So, and by the way, he has all these statements where Kevin McCarthy's owned, uh, bought and sold from the special interest groups. Why was he okay to be a minority leader if that was the case? Why was it, and nobody was complaining. And I don't know that to be the case. But when you are a leader of a party, you do have to talk to corporate America. You still are being outraised in every, every market in the country by every Democratic candidate in the country. So you do have to talk to lobbyists, no doubt about it. Brooke listening in Oklahoma. Hey, Brooke. It's actually Brock. Uh, but anyway, what I, my question is, is these 21 people that aren't voting for the, the anointed one, what makes their voice invalid? Are they just supposed to are we just supposed to get in line and shut our mouth and vote for the establishment? Point is, it's working exactly as our forefathers designed. It's a glorious day. It's fantastic. We're actually having debate on the House floor. Bottom line is, but there's no debate. Votes. There's no debate. No, but yeah, there is. Yes, there is. No, we're, a bunch we're, of speeches. We're finding, out, we're finding out about it. But the point is, McCarthy doesn't have the votes. Why is he putting us through this? Oh, and one other thing, too. The red wave didn't happen because of the RNC leadership. You know, that's what a lot of people think there should be change. Uh, uh, there's a lot of theories out there. Number one is abortion. I think Trump was right over the weekend when he or last week when he came out and said, listen, uh, Roe v. Wade is something every conservative wanted to do. They finally overturned it and they ran and hid. They didn't have a message for it. And it resonated with a lot of young people and it brought a lot of people out. And that was the rebalancer. But guess who delivered the House? Kevin McCarthy. And guess who has over 200 votes? Kevin McCarthy. Nobody else has him. If he stepped aside, would Scalise get it? Maybe. But there's no difference between the two. They have different approaches, but they have the same beliefs. And they'll all have to sacrifice a lot of their conservative views for moderate Republicans with a slim majority. And then the other one would be Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan legitimately doesn't want anything to do with it, Brock. He'll be on with Shannon this weekend. Mike, Fox News Radio, Glendora, California. Mike. Good morning, Brian. You're still not in L.A. on a radio station. That's, a, that's bad. Um, if uh, I want to find out, is are these uh, rules changes going to be binding past the Republican Congress? And how many votes is it going to take before you put your name into the into the till next one next one i will be speaker (laughs) and i will i'm going to make my move mike and as long as i have your support i'll have an la station sooner than you know it thanks so much uh mike listen to the fox news radio app and i appreciate that loyalty uh keep it here don't forget one nation uh which i'm hosting eight o'clock saturday eastern time brian kilmeade show five o'clock on the west coast time huge roster and some breaking news along with it this is the brian kilmeade show News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Don't miss a minute of this hour because Ian Bremmer's here in person. I would touch him, but he'd rather I don't. Uh, Fox Nation streaming it. You'll see him there. One of the smartest people you ever know about foreign and domestic policy. 
and give us a real perspective getting into 2023. Uh, and uh, we'll also take your calls. And we also just got to remind you, too, don't forget our big show, One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Here we go. Biden's border plan to step in the right direction, but not the cure for the border, which he broke. Days from his first ever visit to the border, he's going to go to El Paso. We'll discuss what could take place. Number two. Number two, mystery solved. Details of the murders of four University of Idaho students was revealed in the courtroom yesterday. A 28-year-old suspect. Man, that case is strong. The details are stunning, gory, but still questions remain. Number one. Mark Thiessen said it best. What are the Republicans doing? But talking about going with the speaker race. There is, seems to be, a breakthrough. That's the word from Kevin McCarthy's office after 11 unsuccessful rounds of votes in his quest to become speaker. The latest details are coming your way because we're going to have a vote in about 48 minutes. Ian Bremer is president of Eurasia Group and author of The Power of Crisis, How Three Threats and Our Response uh, Will Change the World. Ian, welcome back. Brian, happy new year, man. Good Same to you. you. First off, you, you told me, put it in perspective, this whole speaker's thing, not that big of a deal long term. Yeah. I mean, the big deal is the fact that the Republicans have an incredibly narrow majority in the House, and that makes it hard to govern. It makes any speaker really, really weak, whether it ends up being McCarthy or Scalise or whoever, right? Uh, but I don't think that – I mean, there's no legislation that's going to get passed that's significant irrespective of whether you have a speaker. And once you finally get one, whether it's 12 votes or it's 24, a week later, a month later, no one's talking about the story. You, are you worried uh, from the holistically we're weakening the position so much? No, not particularly because I also think that if it turns out that the Republicans have a speaker and then they pick up seats – it come 2024, then they're going to have a much stronger speaker. The issue is fundamentally about just how much the red wave didn't happen in the midterms. That's a challenge. Why do you think it was? Uh, on balance, I think it's because uh, it's two things. Uh, one, I think the abortion issue played very significantly for a lot of people. Uh, the country is a bell curve on abortion, and a lot of Republicans got squeezed into a position that was unpopular. That was challenging in a lot of races. Secondly, I think there was a quality of candidate issue um, and people that were really seen to be incompetent. Uh, and unfortunately, the Republicans ran a fair number of them, just underperformed structurally. Um, but I, I, it could have so easily gone the other way. The, the Republicans could have easily had 20 or 30 seats in this majority, and then there wouldn't have been a second vote. This all would have been smooth. Right. So I mean, it's very easy. To, it's, it's, people need to recognize how close the alternative was. So in the big picture, you said don't don't panic. But overall, if you have that combined with the fact that it's January 6th and every Democrat's on the steps saying that party created chaos on the 6th and now they can't even pick a speaker in the one chamber in which they have the majority, not a great look for Republicans. Oh, that's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, I just, but I think the broader picture is what matters for America and American power internationally is not whether the Republicans or Democrats happen to control one of the houses by a few seats. It's the fact that 2024, there's no likelihood of a constitutional crisis. When January 6th actually occurred, and it was an embarrassment, but it wasn't a coup, and it wasn't a possible coup, because the Republicans that Trump called saying, find me votes, 
They said no because they weren't loyal to the individual of the president. Even they were his vice the president country. said no. This vice president said no. His attorney general said no. The Supreme Court said no. The military said no. Everyone said no. Very much like what we just saw in Brazil last week. When you also had a former president now hanging out with Trump in Mar-a-Lago and he's like, oh, I'm not going to concede. It was stolen, all this stuff. And the reality is you've had a peaceful transfer of power. These are democracies and these democracies turns out, turn out that they're much more powerful and entrenched than people had, had worried, right? And that's what really matters. The fact that the United States, we're not going anywhere. Our country is not about to implode. Our democracy is not about to fall. I want apart. to start with Brazil is not one of your top 10, but it's I was not. it's not. But you have to be concerned about Central and South America and some of these socialist communist countries that are infiltrating. If you look at uh, what happened with Venezuela and how it's been destroyed, the uh, I think the, the role of Nicaragua has never changed. And then Brazil basically has a socialist criminal as a president. Yeah, I'm much less concerned about Brazil than I am the other countries. Really? Don't, doesn't he want to do deals with China and uh, further China's claws into this hemisphere? Bolsonaro supposedly didn't want to do deals with China and then, of course, had to because they're the lar- largest trading partner. Uh, Lula is going to be just as pragmatic. His cabinet has a bunch of different parties on it because the only way he can govern is by compromising with people. So, he's so you're not full- worried? Not at all. Not at all. You know, I'm worried. I'm worried about Haiti. Right, we've got a, a criminal like country that has no government that's run by gangs with a cholera epidemic and massive numbers of refugees, literally just hundreds of miles, you know, from the from the U.S. southern coast, and and the U.S. is doing nothing about it. So you've set up an unbelievable list of the greatest dangers, the greatest challenges, or points of interest. First off, number ten, you say water stress. Are we running out of water? Globally. Uh, Water is increasingly not a crisis that we suddenly have to respond to when it hits, but it's a structural reality that whether it's in the United States with droughts and farmers having to produce less so that consumers can have access or it's Europe and it's impacting shipping and waterways or, or it's countries where literally they don't have enough water to actually you know survive, this is a massive Grow and only growing structural issue, and it and we talk about the the big summits every year on on carbon emissions. We talk about the big summits on biodiversity. There there are summits on water. They accomplish nothing and they make no news. Right. So we thought it was really important to actually put it on the list. Well, it's interesting because I did read some people thought the next war was going to be over water. Yeah, uh, number nine, and this is huge. Gets my my daughter's attention. The TikTok boom. Yeah. Uh, are is at one point this year is there going to be a banning of TikTok from everybody's phone or just government phones? Uh, just government phones. Uh, but I also think that there's going to be a difference in how we think about the TikTok generation. Uh, these young people uh, increasingly really believe that the way that they can get things changed is not by voting but by directly protesting uh, in a way that we've not seen, uh, frankly, in generations. And that that's very impactful, especially given the social media access that they have, given the ability to directly deliver their messages um, to people. So they use it as an organizer. Absolutely. But why would that be any different than Instagram or Snapchat or, or Facebook in order to organize events? Oh, no, it's not. It's the same. We, we use TikTok boom just because, because, they're, it's young. A, because they're young. Exactly. Uh, but TikTok in particular, do you think is— It's uh, the most popular. It's right? the most popular. It's the most popular, yeah. And, you know, we watched— uh, Barack Obama sit down with an influencer and Joe Biden do an influencer before the election because most young people are on TikTok. It is their number one site. Are you legitimately concerned about being a spying tool of China? Um, I'm legitimately concerned that China has access to that data if they want it. 
uh, and the fact that they can aggregate it, they can surveil it. And we, of course, don't have reciprocal access to Chinese data. I wouldn't be as worried if Facebook and Google and Twitter were in China. Right. Because then we'd have mutually assured interdependence. But the fact that they refuse to give us that access, but they have no problem scooping up that data in the U.S. Yeah, I have a problem with that. And how about the fact that it's dramatically different in China than it is here? Of course. It's an educational tool that shuts off at 11. Oh, they're very and and it's much more heavily censured, of course. And same way they cut off all their video games. I mean, if you're under 18, you get two hours, you can use video games and then that's it. Right. Right. I know a lot of American parents that would love to implement that here. Right. But that uh, in a free society, that's a that's a slippery slope. Uh, No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Ian, I'm going to see as far as I can get. But now we can do two segments. All right. So I'm going to cut this off in a little while. But next one, you said you're less concerned about divided United States now. You think the midterm election was a good sign in what respect? Uh, in, in the in the sense that the uh, would be election deniers that were running in campaigns that they would have direct oversight of 2024. So I'm talking about secretaries of state, governors. They lost their races. So I, I, this this uh, this risk is not at all about Senate or House. It's about was there any chance of a constitutional crisis in 2024? Might the election be broken? And the answer is no. The answer is no. That's a very strong signal to send to American allies around the world. You're not going to see the United States suddenly break inwardly. Was there a real worry? There was a growing worry. I think January 6th was a real issue. The fact that a majority of Republicans in the House even that evening decided to vote against certifying the election was a real issue. The fact that a majority of Trump supporters say that they believe that the election was actually stolen was a real issue. I think that did damage the United States and its credibility internationally. Don't you think it's to our national interest to tighten up state-by-state election? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Do you believe that – can we agree as a country? Because the polls say we should in voter ID. Yeah. And so start to reassure people in every state, as blue or red as it is, you're not going to tell Oregon to start voting differently. That's not something we do. Evidently, they're all right in, correct? No, vo- state? I think voter ID is a great idea. I also think uh, having a day off on Election Day is a great idea. I think making it easy for people to vote in places where you don't have lots of what's hard to transport and the rest, that's a great idea. We need to make uh, elections secure and we need to make it trivial. Is there, is there a downside to having election season? As opposed to election day. Because now we're backing it up so much. There's a real downside to having two years of elections. There's a downside to having billions and billions of dollars spent on campaigns that start after midterms. That is the most dysfunctional election system among any major democracy in the world is in the United States. As I get Matt Gates's email, he's raising money off his uh, – off blocking – uh, McCarthy. That's what he's doing. That's As what Bobert they're all doing. doing. They all understand that this is about celebrity. I just found that John Bolton is going to run for president. Why? Because it's going to help his book sales. His, right. I think his mustache you don't think is he's going to run win? for vice president. You don't think he's going to win? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's going to win. <laughs> he, you and I are going to like be uh, out there campaigning for and him. And I liked him. I know he's, he's smart, but he's alienated everyone on the right and everyone on the left always hated him. I think for every every American citizen for whom the North Korea issue is the single most important <laughs> issue, they'll be out there <laughs> voting for John Bolton. Uh, listen, Ian Bremmer's going to be here. We're going to uh, make our way through the top 10 list. We'll pick up the pace because there's a lot of lists on this list. Republicans and Democrats will and shown they agree on. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We got it. I don't know how I can afford it, but I guess we're just going to use the overdraft on our checking account. But Eurasia Group president, founder, uh, Ian Bremmer, still here to go through the top risks of <laughs> 2023 and everything else that we, we stumble onto along the way. When we last left off, we were, I don't want to give it away what number one is, but we have to make some tremendous progress. Uh, let's talk, we talk about divided states of America. You felt good about the last election. The arrested global development. You're worried about the world's GDP after COVID-19? You're worried about, for 50 years with globalization, um, you know, yes, you, you definitely had problems with the working and the middle classes in wealthy countries. But the fact is you created a global middle class. Because manufacturing av- left. Manufacturing left. But the average human being on the planet was doing better. For 50 years, right, you were taking people out of poverty. The last three years, that's actually not true on any metric. Far more people in poverty, far more people out of school, far more women being forced in the formal economy, a lot more refugees. And it's the combination of the pandemic, the Russian invasion, and now this really high inflation, all the supply chain challenges. You put that together, the poorest people in the world are doing much, much worse. This is huge. Number six is the energy crunch because people are under the impression that we can build enough windmills, we're going to be fine. Uh, And we have this transition to the green economy, which I still think is a theory. Energy crunch, where are we at? Because there's a big pushback on fossil fuels, period, in many cases. Yes. Yeah, so the funny thing is the, the biggest challenges here are not to the United States. They're to the Europeans and they're to developing countries who are paying far more for energy in the case of the poorer countries Always can't have. afford it. Absolutely. But when you add to that that you're suddenly cutting off for 20 years, they were happy to get really cheap energy from Russia. And it turned out that was a huge mistake from a national security perspective. So now they've cut it all off in one year the prices are going to be structurally higher as a consequence but of that. But one thing that we, we brought up yesterday, stunningly, a place like Germany has done a great job stockpiling, realizing not only don't you have Nord Stream 2 from Russia, you don't have Nord Stream 1 yep. from Russia. That's right. So they've done an effective job. Have other European, Western countries done a, a good job stop getting it from elsewhere? And long term, this is a good move. The Germans have had a lot more money, and they've been a lot more focused, more disciplined than the other European countries have. And France, of course, gets most of the energy from nuclear, so it's less of a problem for them. Other countries are under more stress. But here's the issue, is that last year they were able to seriously stockpile when for the first half of the year they had Russian Russian energy coming in. This year they don't have Russian energy coming in. So even though they're in great shape for this winter, next year they're starting behind the eight ball. It's a lot harder. So next winter is going to look a lot worse for them. Don't you think we should be doing more here and getting those terminals built on natural gas, which burns clean, obviously? Don't you think that there's an opportunity for us to be have to, to be a great supplier and then be a great customer of America? Uh, just earlier this week, the Germans got the first shipments of LNG directly from the United States. The U.S. should lean into that. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of companies, particularly in Germany, like BSF and Volkswagen, that realize they can't manufacture in Europe anymore. It's too expensive. A lot of those companies will move to the United States, to Mexico. This is a big advantage for the what U.S. What are we going to realize that solar panels and uh, solar panels and windmills are not going to replace fossil fuels? Uh, Coal certainly is being phased out very quickly, especially among wealthy countries, and that's a very useful thing to do. Natural gas and oil are transition fossil fuels that we are going to need, and we're going to need further investment in them 
for decades. And as that occurs, renewables will be a bigger piece of the pie. That, that's where the country needs to go. Rapid fire. Iran in a corner. You just informed me the protests are just as big as they have been, starting with the murder of this woman because she was not wearing uh, proper headgear. That's right. Um, and not only are the demonstrations only being met by repression, at the same time, there's no chance of a nuclear deal. The Americans no way are going to give that kind of a benefit to a country doing that at home. And the Iranians are Russians' best friend. They're giving them the drones. They're selling them ballistic missiles. Iran, the likelihood of military confrontation with Iran in the Middle East is growing. Inflation shockwaves obviously getting a hold of that. America's still reeling. We got spoiled, but uh, it's not coming down. It's not transitory. Weapons of mass disruption uh, is important. But let's go to one and two. Number one threat, number two threat is China. Number one is Russia. Start with China. We can put them together because in both cases, we're talking about individual leaders that have amassed an enormous amount of power in their country, surrounding themselves with yes men, with no checks and balances, nothing like an American president, and making really big mistakes. With China, it was zero, zero COVID. COVID, and then suddenly maximum COVID <laughs> two weeks later. They're dying at a rate where they're burning bodies in their backyards. Only 25 have died officially according to, in Ch- according to China. And they're, so they're the epicenter of global COVID once again. While nationalizing businesses. And they're not going to tell us a damn thing about how many people are getting it or about any new variants that are coming. It's an enormous danger for the world and, the, and their ability to make those kind of mistakes also, as you just mentioned, on, in the business platforms and technology are massive. Putin's already made those mistakes in the last year. He obviously does, wants this move back the last uh, eight months. He's been exposed to have a hollow army where, jur- where their generals are killed first and their soldiers don't want to fight. That's right. And they can't win on the ground in Ukraine. They increasingly can't even win in the air in Ukraine as the patriot systems start coming, and that's going to make it more clear, which means that other than surrender – The only thing Putin can do is increasingly take the war beyond Ukraine, take it to NATO. And that's a danger. The asymmetric attacks that you see from Iran in the Middle East, the drone strikes, for example, the espionage, the proxy wars. That's what I think you increasingly see from Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now briefed on the top risks of 2023, as Ian Bremmer calls it. And I agree from the Eurasia Group. Ian, thanks so much. Brian, always good to see you, man. All right. How do we subscribe? Uh, You get in touch with us at EurasiaGroup.net. You can check it out. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He went down initially and he had a pulse. He lost the pulse. They started doing CPR immediately, we were told. And then after a cycle of CPR, he got defibrillated, was taken to the ambulance where he got intubated and taken to the hospital. Right now, the biggest challenge, they say, or a big challenge, is his lungs. He has a condition called ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, where you have inflammation in the lungs Mm. following an event like this. And that's why he's still on the breathing tube. He's not talking because he has that tube that goes past his vocal cords, but he's writing on the pad and he's, he's nodding his head yes or no. So uh, things are looking good. So that was uh, Dr. John LaPook breaking it down well in another network about what exactly uh, DeMar Hamlin went through at the 24-year-old when he went down. So we found out some bad information that he had cardiac arrest twice his, uh, his heart stopped beating. And what it was is essentially fluttering. Uh, and they went just looking at him and seeing the player's reaction to how serious it was. The game gets canceled. Never saw that before. The NFL stops. So the world stops. 
Uh, and everyone's focusing on this. People that never saw a down of football, I think it's significant. Since that time, some unbelievably great news. Yesterday we found out as he came out of a coma, it was it was drug-induced coma to get his body relaxed and to keep it uh, iced to try to freeze any neurological damage that might have taken place when his heart went into arrest. It turns out with a tube down his throat, he wrote down, did we win? And then we found out about an hour ago, he addressed his team with the tube out of his throat. He addressed his team uh, via FaceTime, the Buffalo Bills. So they're going to play the Patriots this weekend. We're going to have a full slate of games. They're going to change it just a little bit. But I thought what was so significant about what happened is that so many people, I know it's the most popular sport and everybody watches football and you always go for the Super Bowl. I get it. But everyone stopped because they couldn't believe how instinctively people rallied around together to come together to comment on this because the more you looked into it, a 24-year-old in the prime of his life and a normal tackle that you might even see in a college or high school, to him go down like that, you realize why these men get paid so much. The average career is a year and a half, a year and a half in the NFL. This 24-year-old from the University of Pittsburgh, he gets drafted in the sixth round. Most guys get cut in the sixth round or they're serviceable, might move around. He's starting at a year and a half. By almost all accounts, he's just this great, great young individual who wanted to go to the University of Pittsburgh. You know why? Because he wanted to be closer to his family. He had, uh, he got uh, where he grew up. He had offers from bigger schools and bigger programs. But no, I'm going to stay around here. And it obviously didn't stop him from starring for, on one of the best defenses in the league. And now we found out he's come all the way back. And T. Higgins, who hit him, weighed in yesterday. Uh, about the fact that some people believe, you know, the hit caused it. And when you're involved in a collision, whether it's a fight in a boxing match and the other guy dies, like when Ray Mancini fought Duck Coop Campbell those years ago, died, uh, dies in the ring tragically, never the intent. Your intent is to win. But he stayed within the rules. This is what he said when he found out uh, that uh, DeMar was doing better. Cut 31. Obviously, it's been hard, you know, um, just because, you know, I had something to do with the play and whatnot. But, um, you know, everybody's been making me feel feel whole again. You know, um, I talked to the talk to his mom and, you know, it's everything is OK. Um, he's doing good. So I'm in I'm in a good place right now. How was that conversation is that with his mom? Uh, you know, it was just telling me that she's thinking of me, praying for me and things like that. That he's telling me she's telling me that he's OK and just all the all the good positive stuff. We're 25 minutes away from the first vote of the day, and I told you I am optimistic that things have been done, that both sides seem to have given, and uh, more McCarthy given, and I think we're going to get a vote shortly, and I'll bring that to you. And I'm about to go to the phones, but before we do, I just think it's also important to bring up, too, that a time in which I was always on here talking about who's kneeling today, the black national anthem, the white national anthem, we don't we got to change our national anthem at football games. National women's national soccer team kneeling during the national anthem on international contests, making rules to make sure Olympians don't do that. Sponsors deciding to bow out or bow in, depending on who the rebel was out there to talk about the inequities of America, the rise of the 1619 Project, and their belief that were inherently built on slavery and were forever going to be racist. That's all gone. You have a black player, white players coming together, talking about it, rallying around. You see one team coming together. You see white coaches and black coaches, and no one cares about the color of someone's skin. They have a commonality of purpose to compete, to win, but to have respect in a sportsmanlike way. And I think to see people come together on the same page, and I see it because – on Fox and Friends, maybe a half the group is sports fans. The other half is when sports becomes news. 
I couldn't believe the myriad of questions at 11 o'clock at night getting calls on Monday night saying, can you help out with Jason Chaffetz on his show? Because we've had this tragedy, which I was watching on Monday Night Football, was able to chime in, talk to heart specialists, interviewing heart specialists during the day, talk about the dangers and challenges that may or may not exist in youth sports. So being able to talk about that and see it bleed on both sides, bleed into both sides in all conversations, I thought was heartening. All good. Can you imagine talking about sports in a good way, in a unifying way? Now, to something that's not unifying, the race for speaker. Ben, you're in Michigan. Hey, Ben. Yeah, Brian, hey, how you doing? Listen, uh, I'm even though I'm 71, Brian, uh, I'm – I'm pretty new. Uh, I'm kind of new kid on the block when it comes to congressional procedures and whatnot. Uh, spoke to a good friend of mine who's a lot more versed in it than I am. And also I heard you even present the same scenario earlier today that there is, a, I guess, a small possibility that Jeffries could become the speaker. Um, and the thing about that, if that does happen, <laughs> yeah. uh, I really think that's going to reflect upon uh, the common individuals, the Republican the Republican side, where it's going to be reflected in the ballot boxes come 2024. Absolutely. Where they're just going to, they're There's just no going way. To say, you know, Let's like, not even entertain it. Ben. It's not going to happen. So what yeah. uh, for you said you're 71. You're kind of new to the political process. Uh, do you think overall this is going to be good? And we just had Ian Bremmer on say, Brian, if they get a deal in the day, next day or two, no one's really going to even think much about this. Have a big picture, Ben. What does this mean? Optic-wise, to me, I'm just telling you my anecdotally, to me, optic-wise, it's not a good thing. It's not good at all. And I don't know. I think there's going to be some some blowback from it, to tell you the truth. I mean, I could be totally wrong about it, but I I truly believe that there will be some blowback from it. Uh, So that's just my feelings about it. I do. I feel the same way. Uh, When it comes to voting, absolutely. Do you think that Lauren Boebert's doing the right thing? You think that uh, you think that all these guys 19 now doing the right thing? I actually don't, uh, because. If you were dealing, it's hard enough getting legislation between Democrats and Republicans. But just to name a captain amongst Republicans, for that not to be done, I don't think it reflects good on on, on McCarthy either because how are you going to deal with Democrats when you can't even deal with your own caucus? That's a negative side. But he'd have my vote. He would have had it day one, and he has earned it. There's nothing wrong with saying I earned it. Let's go to uh, Gunner in Oklahoma. Hey, Gunner. Yeah. So I had a, a take on the McCarthy issue. Uh, honestly, I feel like uh, the Republican and the Democrat Party are part of the Uniparty, and I'm sure you've heard this before. But I'm 30 years old, and in my lifetime, I can't really recall any conservative legislation that's either been proposed or advanced. And uh, with that said, yeah, McCarthy's a, he's a Uniparty candidate. Uh, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll tell you right now. Uh, the tax reform that Trump put forward. First tax reforms yeah, of the 1980s. Tax reform sounds wonderful, but you know this country didn't have a, even an income tax before 1930. So what happened to that? That's the conservative I want to talk about. I don't believe Ronald Reagan's a conservative. He's an actor. He uh, was the governor of California, and uh, he was uh, a stooge of the CIA. I mean, we all talk about the Iran-Contra affair and all the stuff that he helped. So uh, yeah, I'm just not. Gunner, I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated that you do not think Ronald Reagan's a conservative. That that fascinates me. He started as a Democrat, no doubt about it. Uh, so did Leon Panetta start as a Democrat. Uh, I don't think he's leaning right. So to me, he's a conservative, but you got to make deals. Number one, I do think you need a tax base. Someone's got to pay for the roads. You know, someone, I do think Social Security works. I know there's a huge pushback when it was offered, but I think you need it. So I do think there should be taxes. 
but I don't think it should be taking 60% of your paycheck. If you get local, state, city, federal, 60% to live in New York. That's why people are leaving. But I do think there should be taxes. Julie, FM News Talk 97.1. Julie. Hey there. Hey, I have a positive take on this, and I assumed McCarthy would sail through, so I'm not in favor of one or the other, but it's going to have to play out. What I see as a positive is when we show the floor and the House Republicans, I see so many women and minorities sitting there looking like real people, dispelling the old myth that Republicans are a bunch of old guys in suits. So that, to me, is a positive, and they keep showing them over and over again. So I also think we need to just calm down a little bit. We're overreacting to hysteria and and really disingenuous um, comments by Democrats saying how terrible this is. I'm with Ian Bremmer. I do think this is going to get worked out eventually, and maybe not even two days, but I think it will be eventually. And I don't think this is going to uh, mean that much in the big scheme of things. All right. So and you don't think it's a bad thing. Molly Hemingway agrees with you. Thanks for the call. Here's what she said last night to Brett. Cut 10. A lot of this is about just democracy in action. That's what we're seeing. We see people down, going down and voting and debating. And this is generally a good thing. And it also is a lesson for the Republican Party, I think, in that you have these 20 members who do not have a majority, but they're showing how to wield power to accomplish their objectives. And their objectives, which were talked about last night on last night's show, are reasonable. They want some rules changes. They want some control of some committees. And these are the types of things that this is when they have the leverage. This is when they have the power. They're working those things out. And right now, as uh, as Trey just mentioned, they are in debates right now in, in consultation with um, Kevin McCarthy. And so people, I think, need to just calm down, let this happen. Yeah, if it turns today in the big picture, but I also think there's going to be a learned situation that maybe do it more like Pelosi and just say, listen, we're going to settle this outdoors, even if it means even if it means waiting a week in order to have the debate. Because for some reason, I think that there was a belief that Kevin McCarthy, with all his years of experience, had thought when he, we go out to a, a roll call, they're definitely going to come my way. But they're, I guess he misjudged. And that's the danger you have with Byron Donalds, who I think has got this huge upside. I think his star has risen. Everybody knows his name now. Cory Bush made him more famous by calling him basically uh, an Uncle Tom. He's going to be a great leader, but he only has two years' experience. There's no way you can whip votes, get inside, find out where the leverage points are and all these people, party, and, and factions. And even Kevin McCarthy, with all his experience, totally misjudged this. And that's where we're in the place we're in. We'll see what happens. And then once he gets in, then we'll see what kind of power he has from there. Hey, Benjamin, listening on KGNC. Hey, Benjamin, you're in Texas. Yes, hey. So it looks like, looks like to me that Kevin McCartney is a little bit on the lazy side. He didn't take care of business and make sure things were lined up. He should have anticipated it's never over till it's over. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say lazy. I would think that he was thinking, number one, he was thought he was going to have about a 25-seat lead win. Yeah. So you don't really have to worry well, if you lose seven. He just doesn't seem to be very organized in what he does. Could you say organized, or you could say yes. not convincing? Because though, how, how are you going to get Matt Gates to change his mind? How are you going to get Lauren hey. Burbitt to change? You could say to him, listen, I'm going to bail you out, Lauren. You're in a runoff election, and, and right now we're in a recount. I'm going to give you some money. But you listen, i got to vote in a couple of weeks. Just make sure you're on my side. He didn't do yeah. that. I don't know if that's a negative or not. Well, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he go and try to negotiate? 
be interesting, but some people would say, how dare you hold that over her head? Your job is to is to strengthen your caucus, not tell people how to vote. But behind the scenes, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi and all those others were doing that. You can't tell me that that wasn't being done by, uh, you know, by Newt Gingrich and others who just maybe are more street smart than him, Benjamin. Uh, Alex, listening over in Brooklyn, New York. Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. I think this is a stalemate situation. You know, um, this Brian, Ryan Donald's not going to be the Speaker of the House. Republicans are not going to – establishments are not going to vote for him. But uh, Kevin McCarthy's not going to back down. We're going to end up – eventually I think we're going to end up with Steve Scalise. But Kevin McCarthy's whole entire political career is going to end if he gives up this. And this is what he wanted. He wanted to be Speaker of the House ever since he entered the Congress, kind of like Joe Biden wanting to be president. And I think the reason why this is going to go on for a long time – Republican rhinos aren't looking to have this finished up because the longer this goes on, the longer we're in this dilemma where we don't have a Speaker of the House because of these 20 Republicans. In 2024, they'll be able to say, don't vote for a Trump-endorsed candidate for or for a MAGA Republican because then we'll end up in this situation in the House. So this is going to go on for a long time. They're not looking to settle this. And Laura Boebert and Matt Gates are definitely in no way going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. They may, they might settle on, on Steve Scalise, but they, and then they'll say, oh, we don't need any commitments from Steve Scalise because we trust him. And they're not going to get at anything out of it. Steve Scalise is like Kevin McCarthy. But Brian, here's my question. So Real quick. Laura Boebert, Matt Gates, they're not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy, right? The other 18, the other 18, if they vote for Kevin McCarthy, he can still become the Speaker of the House. So is there another one of these 18 Republicans that are at the same level as Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates that they would on no uncertain terms vote for um, Kevin McCarthy? Or abstain. Uh, I, you know, there's going to be – they say there's about seven. They got to knock it down to four, uh, and that's going to be the push. And would you show just seven? So far they've kept 19, the block solid. Let's see if they bro- they'll break the block and just say, now it's time to go, and then put enormous pressure on the others and make everyone admit it. This is personal. There's no way this is good for the country. That might be the type of pressure. We come back. I'll squeeze in a few more, four more calls and wrap things up for this hour. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show here. We've got a few more minutes. You don't forget, we got the 8 o'clock show Saturday night. One Nation, the whole country can't get enough of it, so watch it at 8 and 11. If you have to DVR it on Fox News Channel, do it, but watch it that night. You know, I'm just thinking, uh, I want to thank uh, Talk Radio 95.3 WRSC for officially joining us. We had a stop and start, uh, and I want to make sure that they're fully aboard. But if not, if you missed me or my earlier welcome, I was at a brand-new station, uh, 95.3, you are now aboard carrying the show, and I know you're not going to regret it over in Pennsylvania. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. All right, get this. Tom Hanks is speaking out about nepotism in Hollywood. He told New York Magazine that they, who published a scathing article outlining how nepotism babies have come to dominate the entertainment industry, uh, he has a pushback. He's, dis- he discussed, he's discussed the topic because, you know, his other members of his family, including his wife uh, and others in his family who are now acting. 
This is what we've been doing forever. It's what our, all of our kids grew up in. We have four kids. They're all very creative. They're all involved in some brand of, of storytelling. And if we were a plumbing supply business or if we ran, you know, the florist shop down the street, the whole family would be putting in time at some point, even if it was just, you know, inventory at the end of the year. The thing that doesn't change no matter what happens, no matter who, what your last name is, is whether it works or not. I mean, that goes, that, that's the issue Anytime any of us go off and try to try to tell a fresh story or create something that is has a beginning and a middle of an end, doesn't matter what our last names are. We we have to do we have to do the work in order to uh, make that a, a true and authentic experience for the audience, and that's a much bigger bigger task than worrying about whether anybody's going to like you know try to uh, try to scathe us or not. I think it's an interesting perspective. It does open the door to have somebody you know. But ever, ever in life, period. You want to work at MetLife Insurance? Helps to know somebody. You want to work at J.P. Morgan Chase? It helps to know somebody. Or you can create your own thing by interning, putting the time in. But if you're not good and you're not smart, or you don't put the time in to be smart, you're not going to be, succeed. Yeah, completely. Tom Hanks, again, life lessons that apply everywhere. Right, but he does have a smee while his son and wife are thriving in the industry because of his last name. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.